And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the old west and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's August the 3rd, 215th day of the year. 150 days remain till this year's over with. And let's see. Holidays and observances. National Watermelon Day. National Grab Some Nuts Day. National Big Forehead Day. National IPA Day. Um, Clean Your Floors Day. Happiness Happens Month. Black Business Month. National Immunization Awareness Month. Back to School Month. National Traffic Awareness Month. National Civility Month. Psoriasis Awareness Month. National Breastfeeding Month. And National Hair Loss Awareness Day. So if you take a shower and all your hair is on the floor of the shower when you finish, you're aware. Alrighty. In the year 8, Roman Empire General Tiberius defeats the Dalmati. On the river Bosna. In 435 AD, deposed ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople Nestorius, considered the originator of Nestorianism, is exiled by Roman Emperor Theodosius II to a monastery in Egypt. 881, Battle of Succourt in Vimeo. Louis III of France defeats the Vikings, an event celebrated in the poem Ludwig's Lied. 908, Battle of Eisenach. An invading Hungarian force defeats an English Frankish army under Duke Burkhard of Thuringia. 1031, Olaf II of Norway is canonized as Saint Olaf by uh, Grimkatai, the English Bishop of Selsey. 1057, Frederick von Lotharingen elected as the first Belgian Pope, Stephen IX. 1342, the Siege of Algeciras commences during the Spanish Reconquista. The Reconquista was the Spanish attempt to take the Iberian Peninsula back from the Moors. 1492, Christopher Columbus set sail from Palos de la Frontera, Spain. That was his first voyage. He was going to sail west and find India, which was to the east. 1527, the first known letter from North America sent by John Rudd while at St. John's, Newfoundland. 1601, the Long War. Austria captures Transylvania in the Battle of Gorozio. 1645, Thirty Years' War. Second Battle of Tordgelingen sees French forces defeat those of the Holy Roman Empire. By 1645, it wasn't holding, and it wasn't Roman. And it wasn't much of an empire. 1678, Robert LaSalle builds the La Griffon, the first known ship built on the Great Lakes. 1778, the Theater de la Scala in Milan is inaugurated with the premiere of Antonio Solari's Europa Ricano Scuglietto. 1795, the Treaty of Grenville is signed, ending the Northwest Indian War in the Ohio country. 1811, the first ascent of Jungfrau, the third highest summit in the Bernese Alps by the brothers Johann Rudolf and 
Hieronymus Meyer. 1829, the Treaty of Lewistown is signed by the Shawnee and the Seneca people, exchanging land in Ohio for land west of the Mississippi River. Didn't get much of a deal on that, I don't think. 1852, Harvard University wins the first boat race between Yale and Harvard. The race is also known as the first ever American intercollegiate athletic event, if you don't count the battles at various bars. 1859, the American Dental Association is founded in Niagara Falls, New York. 1900, the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company is founded. The, uh, 1903, Macedonian rebels in Kosovo proclaimed the Kosovo Republic, which lasts for 10 days before Armin Turks leave waste of the town. You don't really want to piss off the Turks if you're not big enough to beat them. 1907, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, Iron Standard Oil of Indiana, record $29.4 million for illegal rebating to freight carriers. The conviction and the fine are later reversed on appeal. As was said to me by an attorney here in El Paso, if you want to win on appeal, you just got to find a judge and bribe. 1914, World War I. Germany declares war against France, while Romania declares its neutral neutrality. 1921, Major League Baseball Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis confirms the ban of the eight Chicago Black Sox the day after they were acquitted by Chicago court. 1936, Jesse Owen wins the 100-meter dash, defeating Ralph Metcalf at the Berlin Olympics. Upset Adolf Hitler quite a lot. Also, 1936, Fire wipes out Kershaw II in the Meschera Lowlands, Rosa and Oblast, Russia, killing 1,200, leaving only 20 survivors. 1940, World War II, Italian forces begin the invasion of British Somaliland. 1946, Santa Claus Land, the world's first themed amusement park, opened in Santa Claus, Indiana. 1948, Whitaker Chambers accuses Alger Hiss of being a communist and a spy for the Soviet Union. The um, Alger Hiss, for those that are not familiar with the name, was an American government official accused in '48 of having spied for the Soviet Union back in the 30s. Now, statute of limitations had expired for espionage, but he was convicted of perjury in connection with this charge in 1950. Before the trial, Hiss was involved in the establishment of the UN, both as a U.S. State Department official and a UN official. Later on, he worked as a lecturer and author. It was uh, Whitaker Chambers, a former U.S. Communist Party member, who testified under subpoena before the House Un-American Activities Committee that Hiss had secretly been a communist while in federal service. Now, Hiss, of course, denied the charge and sued Chambers for libel. And during the pretrial discovery process in the libel case, Chambers produced new evidence allegedly indicating he and Hiss had been involved in espionage. So, since you can indict a ham sandwich in front of a grand jury, a federal grand jury indicted Hiss on two counts of perjury. After a mistrial due to a hung jury, Hiss was tried a second time and in January 1950 found guilty and got two concurrent five-year sentences, which he eventually served three and a half years. You know, the, the bottom line is... Um, 
Could you believe what Chambers had to say? Everything was circumstantial. The 1995 Verona Papers provided evidence for the theory that Hiss was a Soviet spy. Anthony Summers argued in 2000, since many relevant files continue to be unavailable, that the Hiss controversy will probably continue to be debated with political divisions, uh, make, uh, marking belief in his um, innocence or guilt. Until his death in 1996, Alger Hiss maintained he was innocent. You know, it's just like the situation right now with uh, former President Trump. Uh, the prosecutor, Smith, is throwing everything he can against the wall. And that's how the feds do it. If they want to get you, they can either do it in court or bankrupt you with attorney's fees. And the more charges they can throw against you, the higher your attorney's fees and whether they win or lose at trial doesn't make any difference. They've destroyed you. And when they've got 50 or 60 charges against Trump, they'll offer him a deal. Agree not to run, and we'll drop the charges. Because they've got an unlimited budget. They don't care. They're spending taxpayer money. And, of course, it will make Smith's reputation... You know, in 1949, the Basketball Association of America, the National Basketball League, finalized the merger that would create the National Basketball Association, or the NBA. 1958, the world's first nuclear submarine, the Nautilus, becomes the first vessel to complete a submerged transit of the geographical North Pole. 1959, Portugal's state police force, the PIDE, fires on striking workers in Vassal, Portuguese Guinea, uh, killing over 50 people. 1960, Niger gains independence from France. They just made headlines with their um, the presidential guard overthrew the president, and the head of the presidential guard became the new president. Uh, Biden tried to uh, intercede and have the president uh, back in his office, and he was told, you don't own us. This is our country. We make our decisions. 1972, the U.S. Senate ratifies the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. 1975, privately chartered Boeing 707 strikes a mountain peak and crashes near Agadir, Morocco. Kills 188. 1977, Tandy Corporation, also known as Radio Shack, announces the TRS-80, one of the world's first mass-produced personal computers. I had one of those. It was a nice little computer. 1981, Singhalese opposition parties under the leadership of Mamadou Dia launched the Anti-Imperialist Action Front. 1997, Oed El Had in Mazarara massacre in Algeria. Total of 116 villagers were killed, 40 in Al El Had and 76 in Mizuara. Also in 97, the tallest freestanding structure in the Southern Hemisphere, the Sky Tower in downtown Auckland, New Zealand, opens after two and a half years of construction. 2004, the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty reopens after being closed since the September 11th attacks. 2005, President of Mauritania, Maula Olid Sid Ahmed Tayyip, is overthrown in a military coup while attending the funeral of King Fahd in Saudi Arabia.
2007, former deputy director of the Chilean secret police, Raul Iturriaga, was captured after having been on the run following conviction for kidnapping. 2010, widespread rioting erupts in Karachi, Pakistan after the assassination of a local politician. 85 were left dead and at least 17 billion Pakistani rupees, that's about $200 million, uh, and damages were done during the rioting. 2014, a 6.1 magnitude earthquake kills uh, at least 617 people and injures more than 2,400 in Yunnan, China. Also in 2014, the genocide of Yazidis by ISIL begins. 2018, two burqa-clad men killed 29 people and injured more than 80 in a suicide attack on a Shia mosque in eastern Afghanistan. 2019, 600 protesters, including opposition leader Yubav Sabal, are arrested in an election protest in Moscow, Russia. And also in 2019, 23 people were killed and 22 injured in a mass shooting in El Paso, Texas. That is the Walmart shooting. And you have no idea the corruption that came to light in the legal system regarding the trial judge and some of the other shenanigans that took place. The, uh, you know, part of the problem is we've got judges who believe they are anointed by God to do as they please. And that causes, of course, a lot of um, issues. And those issues affect the perception of justice in this country. Um, in the situation that I'm dealing with, no one argues that the roofers aren't crooks. And they were very open. We want your VA benefits. You have access to grants. We want them. That's free money. We just have to figure out how to get you to give it to us. So we're going to give you phony invoices to file, and we're going to split the money. So you'll make us something on it, too. And I said no. So at the end of the day, after they got paid more than they'd bill me for, as a result of one of their fraternity brothers being the insurance adjuster. It's been in court over eight years. There's been a court decision in another court that their work didn't meet code. But the judge in our case said, I'm not paying any attention to that. These are fine, upstanding people, and their attorneys are my friends. Now, is that justice? That's the same judge that took a $10,000 and admitted $10,000 donation from the attorneys for the uh, victims in the Walmart shooting case. Rumor has it that he got close to 60, but he gave back 10, supposedly. And he said it wasn't a bribe, it was just a recognition of his brilliant judicial mind. The problem is 
especially in a state like Texas, the good old boy system reigns supreme. And the fact that uh, there's been lying and cheating and everything else you can imagine, the um, and the fact that judges have no control. I got a federal judge who, when I pointed out that lies had been told, said, I don't care. These attorneys are my friends. And you're one of those ignorant pro se's because we represented ourselves after our attorney took a bribe to walk away. He was promised the appointment to an unexpired uh, there was a judge who was ill who was talking about stepping down, and if our attorney dropped our case, he'd be appointed to, f uh, to finish out that man's term. He dropped the case. Our attorney did not get that appointment. The guy didn't step down. But the judge in the state court had a meltdown when I said we'd represent ourselves. He had friends who needed money, needed work. It wasn't right for us to represent ourselves. Because everybody said you got all this money from the, available to you to, from the VA and we're entitled to it. When I went to the city to um, make them aware of what was going on and I asked for the license of the build of the contractors to be uh, suspended until they honored their warranty, I was told these are wonderful people. They take our inspectors out to lunch every day. We're not going to say anything about them. When uh, it came out that our house was infested with toxic mold, which I'm highly allergic to, and I went to the city about that, asked the health department to come in and condemn the house, they refused. I had scientific reports. They had the word of the contractors that there was no mold. They took the word of the contractors. That's justice in El Paso, Texas. I won't even want to my congresswoman. I'm a 100% disabled veteran, and you'd think that would mean something. Nope, her response was, I don't have time for veteran problems. I have to worry about undocumented immigrants. They're much more important than disabled veterans. That's from an elected official who had been a friend for a good many years, and I helped get elected. So that does raise some interesting questions. The, I went to the uh, Attorney General's office. Now, understand our Attorney General, um, Ken Paxton, is being uh, impeached. And the lead attorney of the 14 that I've been forced to oppose is Kurt Paxton. I am told they're related. I don't know that for a fact. But the Attorney General's office, in spite of the fact that criminal activity took place, that crossed state lines, said, we don't care. The VA, I said under one of their programs, they would pay a contractor to fix the house. He did a worse job than the crooks. 
And when I went to the VA and I said, well, what, what's the story here? Oh, he's a wonderful guy. He's a veteran himself. He wouldn't do you wrong. Well, to be a contractor in the state of Texas, at least in El Paso, you've got to post a $25,000 bond. You've got to have liability insurance. And you've got to get a permit from the city to install the roof. The contractor that was recommended by the VA, and I got an email from them saying it, and at the bottom they say, nothing we say is should be looked at as a, as a, uh, a recommendation. Then why send it? And I'd ask them for somebody they thought was honest. Well, their honest contractor forged my name to the contract and then sent it in to them. They accepted it, even though he signed the wrong name. Never posted the bond. Didn't have liability insurance. And didn't bother to get a permit from the city to install the roof. When I asked why, he said, oh, the city doesn't like you, so they wouldn't issue it. So this is for your benefit that I did all this. He extorted several thousand dollars from me because, well, the prices had increased and the VA said he had to get the money from me. I mean, one lie after another, and it was done so in such a sophisticated manner, you know he did it before. And the VA has done everything but adopt him to protect him. And they have lied and lied and lied and lied. I pointed out fraud, waste, and abuse to the uh, Office of the Inspector General, both by telephone and in writing, several times, and the IG refuses to investigate. I mean, it, it's, it's just unbelievable, the criminality that the VA has indulged in to protect those who screw the disabled veteran. Supposedly, the VA was created to help and protect the veteran. Not under Biden. Mm -mm. It's what you can get. All righty. Well, we've been talking about the, the CIA. And we were talking yesterday when we ran out of time about the Iran-Contra um, scandal. It nearly brought down the Reagan presidency. And uh, December 1986, a three-judge panel, acting on the request of Attorney General Edward Meese, appointed uh, Lawrence Walsh as special prosecutor to investigate the Reagan administration's actions. In addition, Congress held hearings into the matter, but couldn't get the Director of Central Intelligence, William Casey's testimony because he suffered seizures shown before he was supposed to testify. Bob Woodward, the journalist, wrote a book about what he called the CIA's secret wars. He claimed he interviewed Casey on the latter's deathbed and that the DCI knew the Reagan administration was, with the agency's help, funding the Contras with profits diverted from 
sending weapons to Iran. That's why it was called Iran-Contra. Several people questioned Woodland's claims, including Casey's own widow and members of the late DCI security detail, but uh, Woodward maintains that the conversation happened. Investigations resulted in several convictions and severely damaged Reagan, who was uh, at best viewed as being out of touch with what was going on uh, in his own administration. And at the worst, that he was criminally involved. But you didn't see Smith running around trying to prosecute him. So the last two years of his presidency wasn't uh, as dynamic as it could have been as a result of this. George H.W. Bush, his successor, wrote in his diary, he was one of the few people who knew all the details of the program, but uh, later on when asked, he said he didn't know anything about it. He pardoned five members of the Reagan administration who had been convicted of crimes related to Iran-Contra, as well as Casper Weinberger, who resigned as Secretary of Defense over charges including obstruction of a congressional investigation and making false statements. Now, he hadn't gone to trial yet, but he got a pardon anyway. Now, like your typical banana republic, Donald Trump is being prosecuted with everything the U.S. government can throw against him, I believe, to keep him from running against President Biden. There'll be a trade offered, in secret, with non-disclosure agreements, that if he doesn't run, all charges will be dropped. Now, if it comes, we, my wife and I know Trump. In fact, we lived in Trump Tower for several years. And um, a lot of what's been thrown against him is absolute crap. And it's done simply because that's how the feds prosecute a high-profile individual. Throw everything they can against him, whether it's truthful or not. Bankrupt him with attorney's fees. Destroy his career. And then offer a trade to get what they want. December 24, 1991, a little less than three years after his administration left office, Reagan's goal of winning the Cold War came to pass when the Soviet Union was dissolved. However, the end of the Cold War raised questions about what need, if any, the U.S. had for an intelligence agency in the post-Cold War world. After all, the CIA came into existence in 1947 as part of the U.S. crusade against the Soviet Union, and that crusade was now over. In addition, the capture of several high-profile spies in the CIA during the 80s and 90s tarnished the agency's reputation. These included CIA officer Edwin Mortis II, a former employee of the CIA, who in 76 left a packet of classified documents and a note offering more in exchange for $200,000 on the grounds of an apartment complex in Washington, while several people who worked at the Soviet embassy lived. Unfortunately for more. Soviet guard found the packet and thinking it was a bomb turned it over to the U.S. Executive Protection Service. And of course, they called the FBI. Four years later, former CIA officer David Henry Barnett pleaded guilty to having fed information to the KGB, the Soviet uh, State Security Committee, 
To win the identity of several Russians, the agency was trying to recruit his spies. Maybe the best known CIA spy was Aldrich Ames, a case officer who'd worked for the agency for more than 30 years. Russian specialist, he agreed in 85 to spy on the CIA for the KGB in exchange for money. Eventually got paid more than $2 million for classified documents and information about agency sources. Now, the CIA, for its part, did suspect it had a mole, but initially uh, fingered Edward Lee Victor Howard, a um, case officer who defected to the Soviet Union in the autumn of 85. However, by the late 80s, the continued flow of information to the Soviet Union, coupled with Ames' lavish lifestyle, made him the target of agency suspicion. Beginning in March of 93, the CIA and the FBI began investigating Ames, though he wasn't formally charged for nearly a year. Within a few weeks, he agreed to a plea bargain and is currently serving a life sentence at the Federal Correctional Institute in Terre Haute, Indiana. Now, the Ames spying case was a major embarrassment for the CIA. It was compounded when DCI James Woolsey disciplined but didn't fire, demote five active and six retired agency personnel. Response at the Soviet, uh, the Select Committee on Intelligence, later called woefully inadequate. Woolsey resigned a few weeks after that declaration, but less than two years later, another CIA officer, Harold James Nicholson, was arrested for selling U.S. intelligence to Russia. Nicholson had joined the CIA in 1980 and served as a branch chief in the agency's counterterrorism center. He cooperated after his arrest and was sentenced to 23-plus years in prison in 97, but in 2008 pleaded guilty to charges of conspiracy after it was discovered. He'd used his son as a courier to pick up money from Russian officials due him for previous spy work. Well, debts have to be paid, of course. In short, the CIA suffered many setbacks in the last years of the Cold War, and there was an uncertain future facing it in the 90s. But a series of devastating uh, terrorist attacks and on a Tuesday in September 2001 gave the agency a new purpose and a lot of support. And, of course, the question becomes, why didn't they know about the attacks? Now, in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, CIA took on a prominent role in the search for those responsible. The um, Now, nobody denies that the terrorist attacks that took place September 11, 2001, represented both a major intelligence failure and an opportunity for the agency. In the wake of the attacks, President George W. Bush often turned to the intelligence community, including the CIA, <coughs> to prosecute what he called the war on terrorism, utilizing... Uh, Cutting-edge technology, such as unmanned aerial vehicles or drones, the CIA operated around the world and played a leading role in U.S. incursions in Afghanistan and Iraq, as well as helping to locate and neutralize Osama bin Laden under President uh, Barack, look at me, I'm a god, Obama. Today, more than three-quarters of a century after its founding, the CIA remains the United States' premier intelligence agency. Now, the... Uh, the sad thing is, on the one hand, we're spending billions 
trying to anticipate terrorism in all its forms, while the president throws open the border and says, come on down, President Obama made the promise of $50,000 in benefits to anybody who comes. We've got well, 85%, I was told the other day by somebody who's in a position to know that over 70% of Mexico is empty. All those people are here. We're shoveling billions into the war in Europe and trying to shortchange veterans and those on Social Security. You know, the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001, were a massive intelligence failure and provoked calls for reform of the CIA and similar organizations. At the same time, they galvanized the agency and gave it a renewed sense of purpose. Shortly after the terrorist attacks, President George W. Bush, who'd been in office a mere eight months, vowed that terrorists would never again strike the United States. No, we just invite them across the border. They find Iranian and Syrian newspapers scattered across the, the border. These are not people looking for a better life. They're people looking to, uh, over 60%, the last numbers I heard, were young men who didn't want to serve in their own country's military and figured they'd come here and we'd pay them to sit on their butt and watch TV. Well, the CIA was projected to play a key role in fulfilling Bush's promise, hunting the mastermind of the attacks Osama bin Laden, preventing other terrorists from attacking the U.S. No, we just hire them, pay them to sit around and do nothing. Osama bin Laden, an Islamist Saudi Arabian millionaire, son of a billionaire construction magnate that fought with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan during the 80s. In 88... He founded the Islamist militant group Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And after the Soviets withdrew from Afghanistan in 89, he returned to Saudi Arabia while he disobeyed the government by criticizing the presence of U.S. troops in the country during the lead-up to the Gulf War. Gulf War started in 1990. Bin Laden fled to Sudan and from there planned the first attack on the United States, the bombing of a hotel in Yemen where U.S. military personnel stayed prior to their arrival in Somalia. Early 94, he established multiple terrorist training camps and may have even played a role in the attack on the U.S. troops killed in Mogadishu, Somalia, the previous October. That was a so-called Black Hawk Down incident. They also provided financial assistance to Ramza Yusuf, the man who masterminded the February 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center in New York. On the day that that bombing took place, we were on the way to the uh, World Trade Center for a meeting. I stopped to pick up my sunglasses, which were at a uh, one of the uh, optical stores, and I had trouble finding them. So by the time we found them and got back on the, the subway, the bomb had gone off. Otherwise, we'd have been coming out of the subway about the time the bomb went off. In May of 1996, Sudan expelled bin Laden due to internal pressure or international pressure, and... Uh, Around that same time, the CIA's National Counterintelligence Center established the Bin Laden Issue Station. Uh, that was codenamed the Alex Station under 
Chief Michael Schur, Bin Laden moved to Afghanistan, which to say I believe will make him easy to seize. After all, the U.S. had helped the ruling Taliban, an extremist Islamic political group, defeat the Soviets during the 80s. Of course, memories don't last that long in the Arab world. So this wasn't the case, and in August of 96, Bin Laden declared a jihad, a righteous struggle against the U.S. He gave interviews uh, to several U.S. journalists between 96 and 98, announcing he had declared war on the United States. In August of 98, shortly after the militant Islamic extremist group Al-Qaeda attacked two U.S. embassies, President Clinton signed a Secret directive authorizing the CIA to apprehend bin Laden if necessary used deadly force, which may have resulted in an assassination attempt in 2000. October 12, 2002, Al-Qaeda suicide bombers detonated C-4 explosives next to the USS Cole that was docked in the harbor of Aden in Yemen, killed 17 sailors and wounded 37 others. And the worst was yet to come, though. A little less than a year later, 19 members of Al-Qaeda hijacked four U.S. commercial jets. They commandeered the planes and crashed two of them into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City and one into the Pentagon, headquarters of the Department of Defense in Arlington, Virginia. The fourth plane would head to Washington, D.C. Supposedly, the target was the White House. But it crashed in a field outside Shanksville, Pennsylvania, after passengers on learning of the other attacks fought back. All told, these devastating attacks claimed the lives of almost 3,000 people, and President Bush vowed that he wouldn't allow another such attack to happen during his presidency. And because Al-Qaeda was a shadowy organization and a non-state actor, intelligence would be key for uncovering its plans and neutralizing them which meant the CIA would play a leading role in what the White House began to call the global war on terrorism. Well, just over a week after the 9-11 attacks, with smoke still billowing from the Pentagon, CIA launched Operation Jawbreaker, a mission to seek out and kill Osama bin Laden. Agency ordered veteran officer 59-year-old Gary Schroen to go to Afghanistan under very clear orders. And those orders were capture bin Laden, kill him, bring his head back in a box on dry ice. He arrived in Afghanistan September 26, leading a seven-man team, first Americans in country since the attacks. And they worked with the Northern Alliance, a loose-knit group of Afghan factions opposed to the ruling Taliban. November 2001, Sharon was replaced by Gary Bernstein. And although the team ultimately failed to kill, one more time, capture or kill uh, bin Laden, who escaped through the mountainous uh, Tora Bora region during the uh, along the border of Pakistan, they did successfully leave the groundwork for the arrival of U.S. special forces that hampered Al Qaeda operations. Recognition of Sharon's success, which DCI George Tennant called the CIA's finest hour, agency turned the Russian helicopter that had flown his team into Afghanistan into a memorial to the operation at the agency headquarters and. Langley, Virginia. Meanwhile, September 17th, President Bush authorized the agency to render and interrogate suspects under a series of programs collectively known as Greystone on, uh, or GST. These highly secret programs are also compartmentalized, meaning few people are aware of all the details. 
So Greystone eventually grew into the largest post-Cold War CIA operation, and DCI tended to exercise considerable autonomy. Now, he in turn delegated uh, some targeting decisions to the CIA's National Counterterrorism Center. However, an element of the operation became known. Uh, there was a public outcry over some of the methods used by the CIA and its allies, which were deemed to be torture. Particularly noteworthy was waterboarding and interrogation technique, in which waters poured over a cloth covering a detainee's mouth and uh, nose, causing that person to experience a sensation of drowning. These techniques became the focus of sustained criticism and prompted the Senate to launch an investigation into the CIA. You know, what would have been a better use of terror it would have been requiring them to listen to congressional debates hours on end. They'd go insane. Another controversy engulfed the agency about its role in the intelligence that the Bush administration used to convince Congress and the American people to support a preemptive uh, invasion of Iraq. And although Iraq had nothing to do with the September 11th attacks on the United States, elements within the Bush administration saw an opportunity to neutralize a long-term thorn in the United States side. And once it became clear the president was keen on taking military action against Iraq, the CIA's intelligence estimates reflected a desire to provide Bush with the evidence he needed, namely proof that Iraq was a threat to the U.S. because the country had an active uh, weapons of mass destruction program. Initially, CIA reporting on the issue was heavily qualified, but as the report worked its way up the national security hierarchy, many of these qualifiers were stripped away making the uh, intelligence a little more reliable than it actually was. However, DCI Tenet also played a role, telling President Bush in 2002 it was a slam dunk that Iraq was actively producing and stockpiling weapons of mass destruction. Well, following the invasion of Iraq, and it became clear Iraq possessed no such weapons, and the controversy raged about how the CIA would, could have been wrong, a senior Bush administration official leaked Tenet's comments to the inimitable Bob Woodward reported it in his 2004 book, Plan of Attack. Tenet resigned weeks after the book was published and in his own memoirs claimed that uh, the comment was taken out of context. While the CIA's role in the global war on terrorism made it a lightning rod for criticism of U.S. policy, it also made the agency a leader in the hunt for bin Laden. That hunt ended nearly a decade after 9-11 when U.S. Navy SEALs breached bin Laden's compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Now, how the CIA actually found him isn't really clear. One version, intelligence gathered from a detainee in 2002, pointed to the identity of bin Laden's courier, which began a multi-year investigation that led to the terrorist compound uh, in Abbottabad. 2015, investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch claimed in the uh, London Review of Books that the United States had actually been tipped off to bin Laden's location by Pakistan's uh, inner services intelligence, which had kept the terrorists under house arrest since at least 2006. The uh, inner service intelligence uh, agency had hoped that by turning him over to the U.S. authorities, it would uh, ingratiate Pakistan to the Obama administration, which would uh, increase foreign aid. Whatever the truth might be, what happened next is not in dispute. May 2nd, 2011, 23 members of uh, DevGrew, 
that was formerly SEAL Team 6, that had been, uh, well, for lack of a better term, sheep-dipped. That's intelligence for temporarily designated CIA personnel. Breach bin Laden's compound and kill the terrorist. Operation Neptune Spear, so-called because the SEAL's insignia is a trident or a three-pronged spear, was a CIA-led operation. It was carried out in collaboration with the Joint Special Operations Command. After identifying bin Laden's body, the Americans transferred it to the USS Carl Vincent for burial at sea. They didn't want his body to become a... Uh, a monument for would-be terrorists. Congress passed and President Bush signed the Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act of 2004 which created the cabinet-level position of Director of National Intelligence, to whom the Director of Central Intelligence reports. The DNI, as he's called, is the President's primary intelligence advisor, though U.S. US policymakers continue to rely on the agency for actionable intelligence and covert operations. Today, the CIA is a far cry from the Ivy League preserve. It was reputed to be in the 40s and 50s. It uh, boasts uh, of its commitment to hiring diversity and proudly hosts 15 agency resource groups designed to offer support to CIA employees. These include the agency network of gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender officers and allies. Basically, like so many other things, Plays a major operation. Then, of course, there's the Blacks in Government Agency. The uh, Umoja, or Unity in Kiswali chapter. Council of American Indian and Alaska Natives. Women's Coordination Board. Now, more than 21,000 people work for the CIA. And uh, that accounts for about a fifth of the about approximately 107,000 individuals employed by the United States 18 intelligence agencies. But as you can see from these resource groups, rather than selecting the best and the brightest, we don't have to worry about such things as um, Theoretically, successful applicants must be at least 18 years old, U.S. citizens and capable of passing the agency's rigorous background, medical, psychological, and physical evaluations. CIA processes all applications through its website, and the applicants must be in the U.S. when they apply. And while there's no one educational path uh, to prepare for an individual for working with the CIA, Agency spokesperson Chelsea Robinson described the ideal applicant somebody with an intellectual curiosity. <coughs> Excuse me. Interest in international affairs, foreign languages, and experience overseas. She said they have a strong mission for those who are looking for more meaningful work toward a higher ideal with interesting problems. All the positions require strong leadership, communication, and organizational skills. But from experience, my attempt to apply, they were more concerned about uh, political correctness than they were about anything else. CA's website proudly describes its workforce as ordinary people with extraordinary responsibility and a drive to use our talents to protect American national security interest. 
Well, a little more than 75 to, or 80 years after its founding, CIA has grown into one of the largest and best-known intelligence agencies in the world. Its officers operate around the world on behalf of an agency that has moved far beyond its original mandate to centralize intelligence operations and dissemination, blazing new methods of spying on the battlefield, in the boardroom, and even in cyberspace. Over the nearly eight years of its existence, the CIA has established itself as the nation's permanent and preeminent intelligence organization and played a leading role in some of the most important events in U.S. history, such as the fall of the Soviet Union and neutralization of Osama bin Laden. Same time, CIA had its share of failures in operations like those in Iran and Guatemala or a project on Ultra that led to international domestic criticism of the agency. In truth, though, the full story of the agency's work has never been told because of the covert nature of the CIA's operations. As a consequence, its failures have tended to get greater attention in its achievements. As President Kennedy had a complicated relationship with the agency following the Bay of Pigs noted in a speech at CIA headquarters November 1961, it's not always easy. Your successes are imperiled, your failures are trumpeted. Sometimes I have that feeling myself, but I'm sure you realize how important your work is and how essential it is, and how in the long sweep of history, how significant your efforts will be judged. Now, CIA has been in, written up in a lot of spy novels, which mix real-life experiences with fictional details to result in compelling novels. Rather Ludlum wrote The Born Supremacy as one such writer. Of course, the best-known American spy novelist is Tom Clancy, whose uh, Jack Ryan novels have sold millions of copies and been adapted into movies and television programs. Unlike other uh, authors, he had no intelligence experience. He was an insurance agent when he wrote his first novel, The Hunt for Red October. It came out in 1984 and went into a bestseller status, launched him into the top tier of American novelist. And uh, my particular case, I've come out with 60 books and people have been willing to fall on their sword to keep them from being uh, viewed as they should have been. On that note, come the end of today's show, we'll be back tomorrow. With a new topic. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.